Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as nature N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello and welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. It's a beautiful Monday morning here in the West and autumn is well and truly upon us right across the country now. We're seeing some beautiful images of gardens starting to appear across the country. As in a lot of cases, we're getting rainfall, which is fantastic, nitrogen rich, it's stimulating good growth. We're seeing gardens really start to thrive. So we've had some fantastic images and some fantastic questions come through from people as the gardens start to take off. Now, this is the perfect time of the year to get control of your weeds before they become a problem. And there's nothing worse than those prickle weeds. And it's always sort of in that September period, as the garden starts to dry out, the bindi really comes through and causes a fair bit of pain, usually around the feet if you're walking barefoot on your lawn. Now's the time to actually do something about it. And I've got Greg Neighbour, my mate from Love the Garden, joining us a bit later on, and he'll talk about that. We've got uh, garden designer extraordinaire, my very good friend, Peter Donegan, who is uh, is in Ireland at the moment. Uh, of course, we've got, um, we've got St. Patrick's Day coming up later this week, and um, he'll be talking about the shamrock and... Uh, Quite a lot of other things. He's a pretty fascinating guy, and and really, we're very fortunate to have one of the world's great garden designers um, joining us uh, this week. David Van Berkel will join us a bit later on from Garden Express. We've got a brilliant offer. In fact, uh, Bonnie gave it away this weekend, and it was fantastic. We've had so much feedback. Such a cool idea. David will talk about that. We've got some giveaways. We'll have a copy of the beautiful book, Two Dogs and a Garden, and we'll have some packet seeds from Mr. Fothergills to give away as well. Before we go to our first interview, what we will do is answer a few of your questions. And Claudia, I'm not sure where you're from, Claudia, but you asked us about a cafe lime. Now, you've got it in a large pot, often produces new growth, um, and it seems to be healthy. However... Um, and you can see this is the picture she sent through. And this is a great idea, folks. Send us your picture if you if you want something to be looked at. Um, but when you look at the new growth, um, you'll see that it's kind of a bit gnarled. And this is the classic sign of citrus leaf miner. Um, this has been a big problem in Australia, um, really probably for the last sort of 10 years or so, where a lot of people see this new foliage damaged. And the best way to treat it is to use um, one of those um, horticultural oils. So whether it be eco oil, white oil, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, but it's one of those oils. And what you do is you apply it in the early evening, so about five o'clock, and these, these uh, moths are quite active around that period of time. They won't land and lay their eggs, and any eggs that are embedded in the surface of the leaf, um, they will be uh, they'll be smothered out. So it stops the damage being done on the new growth. And this is when you should be applying it as you start to see new growth emerge. So Claudia, I hope that helps. Um, it is a fairly common problem, and uh, you know, in some cases, uh, you don't really need to treat it. If you if you're willing to have a few leaves damaged, then not such a big deal. Janice is in Charmhaven in New South Wales. Hello, Janice. Good morning to you. Um, you wanted to, you planted some Veronica sun kisses on the, on the ground at the end of January. You'd like to move them now to reorganise the plants in the garden. I'm assuming you want to know if that's okay. And, and the answer to that is, look, you can. You can generally move them. It's a lot better if you're going to move anything, probably to leave it for another three or four weeks and then do the moving. Um, as far as transplanting goes, that's the best time to do it. 
Chris, we're not sure where you're from, Chris, but can you prune mango trees and avocado trees? You've just moved into a house and the trees are huge. Absolutely, Chris. Uh, depending on where you are, the mangoes and the avocados are probably going to be in fruit. So if you're going to prune, be very selective on how you do that or wait until you've harvested the fruit. And that's usually the best time to prune both of these trees, albeit if you are in a cooler climate, let's just say you're if, if you're in Cairns or in the north of Western Australia, not really an issue with mangoes. But if you are in the southern part of, of the country, you're going to end up in a situation where um, you will risk getting a disease called anthracnose. It's a bacterial disease, very common in mangoes in cooler, wet climates. So um, you might want to keep your eye out uh, for that. Now, um, we'll answer a couple more questions. I've got actually some good ones. Sherry, again, unknown. We're not sure where you are from, and sometimes that makes a big difference to the answer. So please, folks, let us know your town, suburb, state, um, and if you've got a particular um, particular plant that you want me to identify or a particular pest that you want to identify, then let us uh, send us a photo at the same time and let us put that up and we can have a look. Now, Sherry's question is, um, can I tell you about rust on ginger plant leaves? Now, I'm not sure about rust on ginger. I've never seen rust as a, as a pest on ginger, but uh, I'm, I'm assuming that you are definitely talking about the, uh, the fungus rust. So there are fungicides to treat rust and you can get them from your local garden centre. My advice, though, is I would take some leaves into your local garden centre and show it to their horticulturalists because it would probably be more likely that you've actually got something like damage being caused through mites or thrips. That's usually the most common thing on ginger this time of the year. Sharon's in Rutherglen in Victoria, so um, great to have you join us and hello to everybody in Victoria. What is the best evergreen tree for Victoria? Uh, the conditions to provide a canopy for a subtropical garden. Okay, well, actually, believe it or not, it's not the the, the best evergreen trees, definitely not the denser canopy trees. And um, if anything, I would recommend that you actually go for a deciduous tree. And the reason I'm suggesting this is because what you really want in a subtropical garden is to have some sunlight and warmth coming through in the winter. And if you've got a heavy canopy over the top and it's evergreen, it'll be heavily shaded, be saturated and it'll be cold and that's about the worst three conditions that you could have for subtropical plants so my suggestion would be in actual fact don't go for an evergreen it would be to go and have a think about something like a gladizia there's one called uh, sunburst it's a beautiful golden foliage and that would be a wonderful upright tree that'll provide enough shade perfect shade ready for the summer but, um, but it'll also fit in with the, the broader theme. There are some other great trees. Um, one that I, I've highlighted recently on the Garden Gurus is the leopard tree. It's a, it's a wonderful tree. And another one that you might want to think about, you're in Rutherglen in Victoria, probably not Pontianas, actually. No, it won't work. But certainly um, certainly the leopard tree will. And, um, and I would suggest that you think very seriously about a gladizia. There's my suggestion, Sharon. I hope that helps. Jill's on the south coast of New South Wales. Hello. You've got another flower on your banana, but you've noticed your. I've noticed yours and have seen through uh, through bags over them. Could you educate me on how and when to cover them? So you'd only cover your bananas. Really, there's two things. If you have likelihood of getting hail or any bad wind damage, uh, two is fruit fly coverings. The best bananas are the ones that actually ripen, sun ripen on the actual, on the banana itself. So, and just to clarify, bananas are actually a herb. So they're the biggest herb and they're one of the few plants that actually move from where they're originally planted. So they actually grow away. So they, some people call them a walking plant, but they actually move in a different direction. Now, one of the things that's going on at the moment is we're seeing with early rainfall, particularly here in the West, I'm seeing it in my garden, a lot of germination of, of seed in my lawn and in my garden beds. Now, in the lawn, the one seed that you really don't want germinating, but it will be right at the moment, is something called bindi. And nobody knows gardening, I reckon, broadly, and particularly from a scientific point of view, than Greg Nabuk. Greg's joining us from Love the Garden. Good morning to you, mate. How are you? Trevor, good morning. How are all good over here? We've got a nice sunny day. Beautiful. And you've got a lovely wattle image in the background as well. That's spectacular. It's our uh, boardroom picture. Very, 
very impressive boardroom, I've got to say. Greg, tell me a little bit about um, the, the things that you're seeing in the environment over there. The weather's changing a fair bit at the moment. Um, to your point, you know, everybody's had a lot of uh, rain. It's been quite a warm winter. So a lot of uh, heavy growth, to your point, in regard to lawns. You know, the yep. lawn weed pressures are... Uh, are incredible at the moment. We've got a maybe a 32 degree day today, sunny, and then wow. four days of rain. So yeah. four days of rain is going to really bring it through. And that warm soil really does trigger strong growth in lawns too, doesn't it? When warm and wet, and you'll you'll really see it take off. Yes, uh, but you know, autumn's always at the end of uh, of uh, their main growth period during summer. They're starting to cool. The nights are cooling a little more now, so they're starting to go into dormancy for the warm. Where warm season grasses. Yeah. So as they do that, they're therefore not self-repairing. They're not growing to fill gaps, which weeds, of course, winter weeds then take advantage of. So with with regards to controls, you guys, um, you know, you know, these are the sorts of things, you know, better than most people, things like weed and feeds and so on. They're pretty handy for the general broadleafs, aren't they? But what about things like bindi, the the, the weed, the, the prickle weed that does drive a lot of people mad in warmer climates? It does. And unfortunately, uh, once they've got prickles in their feet, they feel as though they need to control it, but you're too late. Yeah. <laughs> once you've got prickles, you're uh, all you're doing is spreading it around. So uh, I went up to our field trial station, which is up at a cooler area in the Blue Mountains here um, yep. this morning. And uh, I'll just put this up, see if you can. This is a photograph uh, of Bindi germinating this morning. Yeah, wow. So we've got a, a very heavy load of Bindi coming through at the moment. And, uh, you know, as a result, uh, really the use of uh, weed and feeds, of course, there's, there's specific Bindi formulations that are available, both liquid hosons and and granulars, yeah. Um, you know, applying a granular is often uh, easier than than the liquids, but choice is yours. Yeah, yeah. So, so just talk about the difference between the the two of them. Is it the same active ingredient in in each? Okay, so you know there are, uh, for instance, the buffalo weed and feed. So it's formulated specifically for buffalo. Each of the grass types that you've got, which may be cooch, maybe kikuyu, maybe uh, buffalo. Buffalo is a very different plant to the rest of them, and so it's a little bit more like a broadleaf weed in its genetics than than other grasses. Yeah. Uh, and as a result, some of those actives can damage uh, buffalo. Mostly, it'll it'll you know potentially grow through it and come back, but you'll have damage for for months. So it's, and it's really important. it'd be the worst time of the year to be damaging buffalo as you're going into the winter too, wouldn't it? Correct. As you're saying, it, it's not going to self-repair uh, very well coming into this season. So be very careful in regard to something that says specifically it's suitable for buffalo. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we've got um, some general uh, formulations coming through which will be available to uh, treat any turf grass. Now, I think probably the vast majority of gardens um, across Australia have been using various forms of buffalo in recent years. But but the fine leaf grasses remain incredibly popular. I noticed the um, the advent of um, all the the lawn fanatics and all the the various groups of people coming together to showcase their lawns. A lot of the time, they're really fine leaf grasses. It, it's a different weed and feed for that than it is to the broadleaf. You know, in this case, the buffalo broadleaf spray. Um, do you, are the active ingredients different? Do they do they um, act in a different way? Can you give us a bit of feedback on that? Um, they do. Uh, the actives are different. Um, specifically, anything that's uh, that's registered and, and mentioned safe for buffalo will be safe for everything else. Right. So if, it, if it's a buffalo formula, it's safe for everything. If it's not a buffalo formula, then potentially it's not safe for buffalo. Yeah. So, the, Good you know, yeah. So that's Good just advice. the the way and it runs. And is the bindi the bindi spray um, is that effective on other weeds? outside of just bindi? Oh, yes, there's a broad range of, uh, of broadleaf weeds. At this point, you know, we talk about bindi because it's a pain in, in summer, but um, the bane of um, uh, many winter uh, lawns is creeping oxalis, which yep. is been coming through now. It's seeding, it's germinating. Clovers, of course, uh, late winter, you'll see uh, your clovers uh, through your lawn. Uh, they're germinating now. 
so these controls, when they're young uh, and easy to control, yep. uh, you know, a lot more easier to um, to get effect. So it's as you're seeing the germination, like the photo you've showed us, once you're at that point, it's definitely time to get out and, and, and apply. Absolutely, and it's now. <laughs> and Yeah, and, and just, just out of interest, um, when it comes to application, do it on a dry day. You definitely don't wash it in afterwards or any of those sorts of things. You want it to set, don't you? Um, so they're formulated to sit. Uh, these, these active ingredients are both active through root and leaf. Uh-huh. So, uh, well, our formulations are. And mm-hmm. so even if there is a rain event, you know, a few hours later, whatever, you'll still pick up root activity uh, oh. as opposed to leaf. But, yep. yes, uh, the morning of a clear day would be your best place to, uh, to apply it. Fantastic. Greg, what else is going on in New South Wales at the moment when it comes to gardens? Is there, is there anything special happening out in the gardens at the moment? Um, the tipichinas, I would call them tipichinas. What are they called now? No, well, I, I used to know them as lassiandras. So, uh, oh, lassiandra. That grew them That's as, right. as um, So the tipichinas yeah. are all in full bloom and looking fantastic in some areas. Mm-hmm. It's a, um, and it I think seems so. to be a very unique thing to New South Wales, that particular plant. I, I grow them at home in the West and they're lovely, but they're never quite the same. You guys just, they're spectacular there, aren't they? They are. Um, <clears throat> and it kind of cycles. Maybe we just like purple, but, you know, of course, the uh, jacarandas are a, a mass at, at a certain time. And then now the lassiandras are coming through. Yeah. Uh, Tibuccinas are coming through. Um, but, yeah, um, the, the gardens are all looking very, uh, very refreshed, let's say. After um, after a mild summer, yeah, it's been it has been a very very unusual summer. I think in in uh, the Perth metro region, we're looking at at least three, possibly four times the annual rainfall uh, that we've had, and and this week looks like uh, thirty two every day until Thursday when it goes to thirty four to the weekend when we're 30, sitting 34, 36 degrees. So these extremes, what sort of effect do they have on plant physiology? Is, that, is it a, a stop and start effect or is it a, a better growing effect that it has? Uh, obviously, but uh, mild, uh, mild temperatures are going to, uh, to, to grow your summer plants uh, more effectively. They don't like it hot. Once, yep. they, once it starts to get over about 32 degrees, the, the, the leaf stomata underneath the leaves starts to shut down and that stops the flow of water and nutrient through the plant and out of the leaves. So yep. it's the plant's mechanism to preserve itself and stop, uh, let's say, um, you know, transpirating too much water yep. um, during that, that high temperature. So it's about 32 or so that most plants will shut down. And, and prior to that, if, if, if and, and this is a simple way to sort of, describe it i suppose but if the plant's metabolism is um is is up and moving plants tend to be healthier stronger producing more flowers looking lusher and greener don't they it's when they're on the uh, the either end of the extremes as far as temperature goes that you'll see shutdowns in various ways correct and once once the plants shut down um you know the photosynthetic processes continue but those sugars that are produced during the day are actually converted at night so yeah. the nighttime temperatures then become more uh, critical that they're, they're not too high. Greg, it's always fascinating catching up with you. I learned so much and um, I'm very conscious having had this conversation that I've got uh, creeping oxalis uh, just producing little yellow flowers in my lawn. And, yeah. uh, and whilst I have a few patches of bindi, the last thing I want it to do is to start to t- pick up and, and take off. So I think I'll be grabbing myself a couple of bottles of that hose on and going out and treating them now before it does completely shut down and go dormant through the winter. So whatever time's left, I can get coverage over those patches. Exactly. Perfect timing. Well done, mate. Thanks so much for joining us. All right, Trevor. See you again soon. Good to speak to you. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail-order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. There you go. Greg Neighbour from Love the Garden. Great, guys. Like The level of knowledge that Greg has is just fascinating. I learn so much um, if, I, if I don't... Um, if I don't sit down and listen to him, I, I miss out on things. So um, it's absolutely brilliant. Now, we'll get into a few questions for you. We're back here in Perth. Hello, Ron. Um, 
you've got a lime and a mandarin tree. Both of them are in pots and you want to put them into larger pots. When's the best time to do it? Well, look, it's highly likely at the moment they've got fruit on them. So don't want to do it at this moment in time because one of the things that a lot of plants do when they go into shock is they'll drop the fruit. So don't do that. Wait until they've um, until they've fruited, then pot them up straight after. It'll do them the world of good. You give them some fresh potting mix, some fresh fertiliser, and they will take off. Uh, Kate is in Bell in Queensland. She's got a seven-year-old drunken parrot tree that's yet to flower. Seven years old. That's um, if, if it's the one I'm thinking it is, it is the Dryandra. It stands about three metres tall. And given the drought over the past six years, it doesn't get regular water. You can't have, yeah, which is fair enough. It shouldn't need to do that. And um, to be quite honest, the drier conditions should trigger that growth. Um, what they tend to, that flower, what they tend to do is grow when they've got enough moisture and then they'll sit and almost hold on in a dormant kind of state. And when they get the first lot of next rain, they'll then bounce back. So I think you're waiting for rainfall is my suggestion and that'll trigger that um, that flowering process. I hope that helps, Kate. Uh, Corinna is in Bundaberg in Queensland. Hello, another Queensland question, fantastic. Um, how do I find out what kind of native bees are the correct kind for my location? There's some great little bee books out there, actually. Um, worthwhile dropping into your local bookstore. I uh, can't quite think of the titles off the top of my head, but I've got a couple of them sitting in our collection here, actually, I might just uh, jump up and I'll show you what I what I mean. Um, now, it's not all about native bees, this particular one, but it's about the bee-friendly garden. And it talks about them with regards to how you get, um, how you create uh, the right environment for, for bees, both native and also uh, the, the European uh, honeybees that we, know and love and worry about a lot as they, they provide a huge amount of pollination uh, for us. Now, um, as far as native bees go, there's some there's also some very good websites. I'd suggest that you get on and do a little bit of research, but um, there's some terrific work being done with regards to bee houses. And um, you might be surprised or interested to know that a lot of those native bees are solitary and they'll make a single little um, uh, a little home uh, where they'll, they'll lay uh, a little egg and their little larvae will hatch and, and live in that and they'll put a little bit of honey in that. So that is probably the best bit of advice I can give you. Zefa is in New South Wales. It's from YouTube too. So don't forget that we're on YouTube and uh, broadcasting straight through there. So can I grow tomatoes in New South Wales during the winter? It depends where you are. If you're in mm -hmm. southern New South Wales, this is why letting us know what town you're in does help. Um, you're going to struggle. But if you're in the north or even on the coast, you're in with a pretty good chance. Um, now, the interesting thing is that tomatoes um, set the best crops when the daylight hours are getting longer, not getting shorter. So we're in that declining, that shortening of our days, of, of the light span. So you will struggle a little bit, but you can offset that by putting lights above them. Or alternatively, if, you're, if you've got a glass house or even a plastic house environment with white plastic, um, that does help a lot too. So I hope that helps Zifa. Chris is in Perth. Can you prune down mango and avo avocado trees? Um, I think this is the one we answered before, mm -hmm. Chris, um, but you're in Perth. So the, uh, the answer goes back to what uh, I said previously, and that is, yes, you can. I wouldn't prune the mango now. I would leave the mango until probably November in the Perth environment. You want it to be warm conditions, not cold conditions. You don't want to get anthracnose. Keith, we're not sure where you're from. You've got several upside down orchids. What's the best fertilizer to use? They're the most fragrant smell when they flower. They do. And there's a few different types actually that are described as upside down orchids. But um, the answer to it is that feeding with liquid plant food is always the best way to go. It really does make a big difference with regards to um, the uptake. So you want to use something that's actually um, quite soft and gentle. And the way to do that is to use organic. So in my, my particular view, things like power feed are a really safe option. They tend to be very good uh, with regards to encouraging that. Um, some people will say I, I fed with uh, sea salt and there's no nutritional benefit in sea salt. So that will not help. So um, my suggestion is that you take a take a look at one of those organics. Um, Charlie Carp is also a very good one, 
I should say, for um, for orchids. Cheryl's got a, you're another one that's unknown, but you've also got a, an orchid question. They're looking good, but they're not flowering. And I don't know what type of orchid you've got, Cheryl. So it gets very difficult. If it's um, a Phalaenopsis orchid, then they're probably just going to produce flowers over the next few months. Of course, if you've got something like a Cymbidium, they should be producing flowers right now. They should have stems up. You'd be, you'd be seeing the flower stalks and you'd see the buds well-developed if they're not already open. Uh, I know mine at home are, and, and that's um, that's problematic. And if you've got native orchids, so dendrobium orchids, then you should be splitting them right at the moment. So it's very hard um, when I don't know where you're from. And in this particular instance, it would have been great for you to send us a photo. Um, it certainly will help a fair bit. Now, for many years, I've traveled to Ireland. I've been very fortunate. I've got to meet some pretty incredible people over there. Of course, the gardens in Ireland are spectacular. And... Some of the garden designers there are considered the finest in the world. And this particular chap who I met at the Bloom Garden Show in, in Dublin, uh, which is when our borders open again and we're all able to travel, is one show you should go and check out. It is absolutely spectacular. And, of course, it's in the heart of Dublin, so it's a chance to go and explore that part of the world. This particular designer, Peter Donegan, has become a good friend of mine and we caught up earlier this week to talk about Irish Shamrock and St Patrick's Day. Hello, mate. How are you? Great to see you again, Trevor. Congratulations on your 20 years with the Garden Gurus. You look younger than I do. Well, it's probably because I've just had an easier life, Peter. That's what it is. <laughs> Shall we leave it at that? <laughs> We're both smiling. Yes, indeed. Indeed, now, indeed. Peter, you, um, you've been doing some pretty interesting projects and so on, but you're home at the moment. Yeah, home. It's very unusual, uh, Trevor, and I... I think you sort of forget, you know, in your case, you're you're, you're doing the, the traveling a lot. But in my case, I think I was up to about 30 to 35 weeks a year out of the country. And to quote my young daughter, who's 11, I think she reminded me it's my first year home for her birthday, uh, Father's Day, my own birthday and surprisingly Valentine's Day. So um, uh, that it's it's quite it's quite unusual in that, or at least it was for the first couple of months, not to be sitting in an airport somewhere. Uh, I, 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 that bit I found a little bit odd, but I, I'll also turn around and say, no better place to be when you are where we are in the world. Yes, absolutely. So if there was a blessing that COVID brought us, it's that uh, it's brought us closer to family, which is a wonderful thing. And one of the things that um, that is happening is we're all spending a lot more time at home. So we are seeing people looking in their own backyards. We are seeing gardens being refreshed and reinvigorated. And one of the things that I'm quite fascinated with is that the iconic Irish plant, the shamrock. Mm -hmm. I want to know, where can I find a four-leaf clover? <laughs> we'll... Um... <laughs> I'm 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 giggling. I was in uh, I was in uh, Salt Lake City, um, and I, I um, the, the long story short, but I'd been presented with a what was labelled uh, Lucky Irish Shamrock, um, which was a very large purple leaf known to those who have uh, a horticultural education as Oxalis, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's a similar shape, but but where one is maybe the size of your baby fingernail, the other might be the size of the palm of your hand. Yeah. And I was due to meet Mary Robinson, the first female president of Ireland. Uh, it was her, it was the Irish consulate for San Francisco. And me speaking, don't what? ask, long, another long story short. And I said, I can't present this. Um, but but that's that's what sort of happens. And, and I'll, I'll split it two ways. If you celebrate something Irish with a cardboard shamrock colored in green then I wish you all the best um, uh, if it's got a purple leaf then chances are it's not but if it looks even remotely like it I let you away so long as you don't call it St Patty's Day because we all know a patty is a burger. That's exactly right and generally a good one so, so yeah. what's the story with shamrock what, what you know what, what is it? <laughs> 
the the shamrock is a is a really really interesting one because if you go to what we now know as and I, i'll apologize in advance for those who don't know botanical latin um i'll try and simplify this down for those of you who do i promise you i'm not trying to insult your intelligence <laughs> but botanical latin is really really interesting and, it, and it's up there with the irish language so i'll give you two examples before i start th this little piece um in uh, botanical latin the longest one that I can give you that always makes me sound intelligent is Ligustrum ovalifolium aurea variegata. And if mm -hmm. I break that down for you, Ligustrum is like Donegan, Peter, let's say. So Ligustrum ovalifolium, ovala, oval, folium, oval foliage, uh, variegata, variegated, aurea, gold. So basically you're looking for a gold leaf with an oval shape. Uh, and, and that's and that's it. And it translates loosely as privet hedging. In the Irish language, things are a little bit more um, of daydream. So uh, bow and day is the Irish for ladybird. And bow and day basically means little cow of God. It's a, it's a, like a daydreamer's uh, variation of it. And yep. if you come to where I live, which is Ballybottle, the translation is Ballybacalia or the town of the staff or the crozier because St. Patrick's crozier used to reside here. So it gives you a little bit more information than you bargain for where the Latin is purely descriptive. Yep. So it's important in this next part, but we, we started in about 1597 and John Gerard uh, was a botanist at the time and he'd narrowed it down to uh, a couple of uh, names and he had trifolium, again, trifolium, tri-tree, folium, foliage, so tree leaves and pratense was the first one and then another one, flora alba. So basically red or white clover. Yeah. And in 1890, and this is where we try and get almost sort of scientific about things, Nathaniel, uh, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, I just about got that right, Colgan, uh, another botanist, he was coincidentally also writing a book, but he'd sent out and, and tried to um, a request and he tried to do a survey. And when the samples were sent in, he planted them all at the Botanic Gardens and uh, in Dublin, and they tried to come up with and narrowed it down to about six uh, five, my apologies, five uh, species. Mm -hmm. You've got to bear in mind that they're, they're basing this identification on art or paintings of the shamrock. So they're trying to go back on that one. But in 1988, you would assume at this stage of the game, we'd sort of got things, you know, somewhat CSI Miami or scientific or some sort of television program. But Charles Nelson repeats the experiment and he 230 plants sent in and he narrows it down to five. And ultimately, he's got Trifolium jubium, which is the one that we now know as shamrock. Yep. And Trifolium jubium, tri being tree, folium being foliage, and jubium being dubious. Je ne sais pas. We don't, we don't ultimately know which one it is. So how many years later, from 1597 to 2021, and we have still five species that can be considered as shamrock. Wow, that's amazing. Now, the shamrock, yeah. just tell me about it growing. When, when does it grow? So is it, it should be growing right now. Is that right? You're growing right now. And it, it's, it, <clears throat> excuse me, again, in, uh, when I was over in, in Salt Lake City, they were, the, the Irish people were coming into me because we flew uh, a, a large bale of it across. It's a, another thing that uh, UCD, University College Dublin, uh, invented, which was the gel. Uh, that it's transport they use to transport the shamrock from Ireland to America when it's presented to, in this case, uh, uh, Mr. Biden or President Biden, <clears throat> and um, uh, or soilless in, in a nutshell. But they had sent all of the shamrock across, which was in washed routes. And when the advice was being given out, they said, "What do we do?" And I said, "Put it in the worst location you can ever think of and, and sort of neglect it, because if you if you understand what clover is." Well, then it's a weed in a in a lawn. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a shallow rooting, rugged thing that that no lawnmower seems to be able to compete with, and uh, and ruins the blades of uh, every single possible variation going. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to the guys about cropping it, they they sort of have a, a short handled scythe, if you'll allow me call it that. Yeah. I, I say when they're cropping it, not for resale en masse, uh, <laughs> but that's what they tend to do, or just grab a fistful of it and pull yeah. it up out of the ground. But the worst weather that you can give it ultimately 
or the worst Irish weather. And if you're unsure what Irish weather is, well, then it's the four seasons in one day and the thing still sort of laughs at you. So be tough loving. I think is probably a good way to put it. Yeah, but not much maintenance to it at all. Wow. Now tell me with St. Patrick's Day coming up, what would you normally do on St. Patrick's Day? That's that's an interesting question, Trevor. Um, I think there's a, a Peter Griffin family guy variation of what St. Patrick's Day can be, uh-huh. um, but it's not it's it's not that it's it, that's the I don't know the falling in love equivalent of being underneath the Eiffel Tower, and uh, that's a bit chilly if you're asking me under underneath that place. So uh, <laughs> Ireland has a similar sort of. Uh, a similar sort of, um, I, I guess, stereotyping. But if you go into the city, they do a very big celebration. It's a wonderful, genuinely, it's a wonderful place to be. Um, but we sort of live 45 minutes away from the city. We're in uh, a town with no bus stop, uh, still Dublin, uh, one pub, one petrol station and, and one Gaelic football club. Um, a wonderful community and I'm very proud to, to, to live here. Um, but but it, I, I, I can only say to you that St. Patrick's Day was always about spending time with them, with family. And again, I'll say it, if you were here for St. Patrick's Day, you'd never be stuck for somewhere to sleep. You'd never be stuck for a meal. You'd be welcomed into somebody's home and you'd, you'd yeah. probably get the real deal. But uh, and that's but yeah, that, and that's 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 real Ireland. The, it's the warmth and magic of the people. And when they come together to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, it's a very special experience. I've, I've had it once in my life and it'll stay with me forever. It was a really wonderful thing. Peter, we are going to have to go, mate. Hey, thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful to catch up. You too, Trevor. Best luck and congratulations and best successes on another 20 years. And keep up those good looks, my friend. Lyle, if I Trevor. Gotcha. See you, mate. This show is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone, anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. That's just such a great chat. He is an interesting fellow, really talented designer. I I hope that at some point in the the near future, we're all able to travel and you get get to see some of Peter's gardens. If if you're in, if you're tuning in from overseas, um, you'll be able to do this obviously through RTE. Um, he is hosting the garden element of a makeover show uh, that does some incredible work. So you should um, keep your eye out for that. Absolutely brilliant. I'm going to get back into some questions and answers for you. Um, with Teller, hello Teller. It's great to see you joining us again this morning. That's fantastic. Teller's in Aberdeen in New South Wales. What kills khaki weed and cat's head? Certainly not Bindi Killer. And you know what? Um, to be quite honest, the, the particular types of weeds you're talking about tend to be taken out a little bit by some of those broadleafs, but not completely. They do have quite long tap roots in them. And the solution to, um, to really taking them out is to actually use vinegar, but to specifically hit them. So if you get salt and vinegar, mix it up in a jar, put it in a little sprayer, and uh, just wants to be one of those little cheap hand sprayers, put it on um, the, the direct jet and directly jet it into the heart of each of those individual plants. I know it's going to take a while, but it's well worth it because you will burn them out basically completely out of the soil. So hope that helps. Rachel's in Bathurst in New South Wales, and it's coming in from our Garden Express page or from the Garden Express page, I should say. So hello to to you, Rachel, and everybody in uh, New South Wales. Just wondering what would cause a junior, 18, uh, 12 to 18 month old, Gum. I can't see anything at the moment, Lockie, so um, I need to have that back. Sorry, guys. Um, 18-month-old gum um, tree to go from lush green and about to flower two weeks ago to all the leaves gone brown and half of them are dropped off. It's definitely some kind of stress and it's a very common problem 
um, in trees that have had some form of root damage. Now, when they're young, if their root system hasn't established super well and they go through some wind, very strong wind environment, and they're not secured strongly against a, a stake, um, there is a chance you'll get root movement and a break in the root system. And the immediate reaction is that generally all the leaves just go dry and often the tree will die completely. In this particular instance, you've indicated half of them, no, you said all of them have gone brown, half of them have dropped off. If the trunk of the tree is still green, I would persevere because it might recover. But um, very difficult situation once you're in that, that situation. You can try and offset some of the shock. I mean, most of it's already occurred, but you can stimulate new root growth by applying sisol. It is a really good root stimulant and should help a little bit there. Bad news, Rachel. I'm sorry, it's not a better case for you. I would suggest you jump back on the Garden Express um, uh, website and, and maybe take a look at another option, uh, another plant to go into that spot. Eileen is in Melbourne. Hello, Eileen. Uh, you're from the Love the Garden page, so we're really getting a bit of movement coming in from other pages. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, you're moving house in the next two months from South Vic, um, just out of Melbourne there. It's quite a warm temperate to Devon, North Vic, which is warm. Um, you want to take your roses from the current garden to the new spot. And you're wondering whether you can remove them now if you trim the foliage. Look, you know what? It's always better to have them dormant. And roses don't like um, tremendous amount of root damage. So the, the key is to try and get them as much of the root system out as you possibly can. Um, if you could leave it to May, June, far better for the plants. But if you can't, um, I would suggest what you do is you soak them with sea sol, give them a really good soaking, then dig as much of the root system out as possible and then avoid um, too much movement. So wrap them tightly in hessian if you can immediately after you've got them out so you reduce the amount of soil lost from around the roots and, yeah, move them carefully and put them straight back into the ground in their new home. As soon as they're in the hole, soak it again with sea salt and this is going to help stimulate recovery of the damaged roots and hopefully some new feeder roots coming through. It is a bit of a challenge, Arlene. It's not an easy one, uh, but roses, I can understand if they're sentimental in any way, you want to make sure that you're um, you're doing your best. Debbie's also got a rose question, but she's up in Sydney, and, and Sydney's a bit like Perth at the moment. The, the humidity's been very, very high, and when it's high, you do get black spot on roses, which is exactly what you've got, Debbie. And what you're telling us is you want to try and stop it. Well, the simple way to stop it is to get better air movement through the roses. It's that humidity in the air that really stimulates great fungal growth and black spot loves it. So my recommendation is that you um, you can treat them, you can spray them, but they're not that far off dropping all their leaves anyway. So my recommendation is that maybe you go through and give them a light prune, try and thin them out just a little bit, and that will stimulate some new growth, but most importantly, uh, it should open the bushes up a little bit and allow a bit of airflow through, which is the, the, the real key. Hope that helps. Tella, you're celebrating St. Patrick's. Uh, sorry, you're celebrating Patrick. I'm, ta I'm taking that. St. Patrick's. Um, your pony, no, your pony's 11th birthday on St. Patrick's Day. No wonder he got the name Patrick. I get it. Sorry, Tella. There's something else to celebrate. What a um, what a joyous day it is. I don't know whether you've ever been to Dublin for St. Patrick's Day, but it is an amazing event. Nobody knows how to celebrate quite like the Irish, that's for sure. Now, let's have a bit of a chat to my mate, David Van Berkel at Garden Express. Hello, David. How are you going? How was your weekend? What did you do? Anything exciting? I actually went down to uh, Point Nepean, um to the old uh, uh, Navy base down there. Yeah. Some of the, uh, yeah, beautiful walks and, and things. Just a, a beautiful day and, a, and an awesome spot. I had never been there before and it's just something really different. How's the weather going in Melbourne at the moment? Well, you were just talking about humidity. We've had a, a little bit of that here in Melbourne as well. It's been a very surprising probably two or three weeks, uh, almost a month ago now, um, affected some of the plants that we had. Actually sent some off for testing, uh, only to find that it just was that, that humid environment. So um, wow. that's what we've had, but now we've cooled down really quickly and it uh, feels like we're in the grips of autumn. Wow, that's, um, 
that's yeah. Well, look, this typically uh, around now, I would be thinking I'd be planning my trip to Melbourne for the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show. Obviously, that's not happening this this autumn, but hopefully it will in spring. But um, the, one of the great things is, of course, at the point of the show actually happening, the the colour in the trees, particularly. Uh, up in uh, Monbolk and, and all those areas around the outside um, where you are, they're just spectacular. It, it is amazing. You know, autumn colour is, uh, is fantastic. We've been getting some really nice cool winters which really bring on that, uh, that good autumn foliage. So, mm. uh, yeah, the reds and things that are appearing, the oranges, uh, bronzes, it's just wonderful. Now, mate, uh, on the weekend, young Bonnie um, showed us the... Uh, the the uh, glass vases that you sell for growing, and she actually demonstrated how to get the best results, and particularly with things like hyacinths, which are wonderful and fragrant, and you can actually have them inside the house. She did a great job showing showing them, but we've had so many inquiries, so many people talking about it. Tell me a little bit about what your package is. It's, it's a really good idea. Yeah, so we've got uh, on this occasion we've got a, a, a cylinder vase that we put some um, some pebbles in. A little bit of charcoal is provided just to take away any of the uh, the algae that might bloom in your water. Yeah. Um, and you place the bulbs on top of it. So three hyacinths, uh, blue, pink, I think white, and then we also have a package with um, with four tater tape bulbs, daffodil tater tates. Yeah. But on on pebbles you can grow a variety of things, jonquils. Uh, respond really well to growing on, on top of the water. Um, yeah. But you don't actually have the bulb touch the water, Trevor. You need about a centimetre and the bulb kind of smells the, the moisture and sends wow. its roots down to, to do the growing. So they can sense where the water is. And then so so just just tell me, so care once they've taken off. So the, the bulb's dropped its its um, its roots down into the into the, the rock, into the pebbles. What else do you need to put in there? Do, does it need fertiliser or is there enough, enough in the bulb? What, is, what happens? The, the bulb's got the flower inside already. This is a really exciting thing about flower bulbs, right? Yeah. They're ready to, to send up the flower. So you put the water in, you put the bulb on top, uh, you put it in a cupboard for a couple of weeks to allow the, the, the pin or the shoot to start out the top of the, of the yeah. bulb. Then you bring it out and enjoy it. It will throw heaps and heaps of roots into the water fill the vase so we don't want to add any fertilizer to color up that water yet yeah yeah as your flower turns is when you might put a bit of sea soil or a bit of power feed to right. allow the bulb to rejuvenate a little bit uh, for the next season and and so how long does the does the bulb stay in the do you take the bulb out and put it into the garden or can you just leave it in year in year out no, you need to take it, it'll, you'll leave it in for the season. You let it yep. do its whole cycle. You let the foliage die down. Then you would take that, that particular bulb, put it into the garden uh, and let it have a season or two in the garden to, yep. to fill out and plump up, you know. But then you could maybe take some bulbs out of the garden from, you know, from your gardening and put yep. them on the vase the next year. Or just contact you guys and you can send out some new ones at the beginning of the season. Of course. Even better. What a great idea. Now, this is a really good gift pack, isn't it? This is like you could have this around the house, you could have it in the kitchen, I suppose, but it would also be a wonderful gift to give somebody who you really, you know, who you really love, right? Birthday. It's, it's or... presented really nicely in a, in a decorative box and, yeah, it's a really nice way even if somebody's not a, a, an avid gardener to just, you know, experiment a little bit. Um, indoors, of course, uh, a beautiful gift. So it's three separate vase box sets. What, what are they worth each? They're worth uh, a bit over $27, Trev, and yep. we've got a, a discount for viewers at $18, so save over 30%. That is incredible. That is so so $17.90 each. To get them, people just need to go straight to the Garden Express website, right? Yep. Have you got many left? There's not a lot. I've got oh, to yeah. say that. Yeah, um, we've got some stock, of course, Trevor. But it's one of those uh, one of those limited gift items. There's there's not an endless supply of uh, of a gift box item with Garden Express, um, David, and they'll sell out very quickly. We, I was going to say we know how quickly everything's been selling out. That's the thing. So, folks, get in 
get in now while you can. They are a great idea. They really are. And as I said, I thought they'd be great for a gift. But just bringing into the into the house, and particularly with hyacinths with the fragrance as well, bringing them into a place where everybody can appreciate them is a great idea. Uh, the, the hyacinth flavour, Trevor, can be can be overpowering in a small room, um, but it's just delicious. And and another one, it's probably a little little bit of an educational item for for kids as well to sort of watch yeah. what the bulb might do. Um, just watching those roots develop and grow and, and really fill the vase. You know, it's quite unbelievable how many roots will come out of a bulb, um, nice, fresh and white as it's yep. uh, as it's doing its thing of flowering. David Van Berkel, you never disappoint. Thank you very much. It's fantastic having you join us again and what a great offer. I have missed you, Trev. It's been a couple of weeks, mm, so uh, well, it's good to be back. I was going to say, we'll see you next week and hopefully with another exciting offer. Absolutely. All right, buddy. Thanks very much. Stay for tuned. Okay, cheers, mate. This podcast is brought to you by Still and Evergreen Garden Care. Still is Australia's most trusted brand of garden power tools, backed by 95 years of German engineering excellence. To get your hands on their range, visit your local Still dealer today or visit still.com.au. Now, I've got something a little bit different. I went into my garden this week and, uh, in fact, I went in late yesterday afternoon and I thought I've got some pretty weird and wonderful uh, bits and pieces growing in there. This this one you will know, of course, it's capsicum, but I've got this one when it sort of ripens, it turns brown. So they call it a chocolate capsicum and uh, really it's just colour. But when you think about members of the capsicum family, uh, of course, you've got... Uh, You've got these guys, which are chilies, and you can see the chilies here are uh, yellow, and as they ripen, they, they turn a, almost an orangey red. This one here is very different. This is actually more of a purple and um, turns to a black. So it starts off green, goes black, and then gets a bit of a purpley sort of colour when it's ripe. And just to show you this one, this is a, is a bit different. So this is um, this is a Carolina Reaper. This is one of the hottest chilies in the world and it's not something that I could eat, even if I wanted to. I just couldn't eat them. They're just too hot. But when you take this and you crush it up and you pop it into a jar with water, along with these, these guys, and actually I'll show you these because I'm planting these at the moment in my garden. This, of course, is garlic and you can see it's just starting to shoot but I'll take garlic cloves and crush them, mix them with the chilli, pop them into a jar of water, let it sit for about 48 hours, not much longer than that, shaking it probably two or three times through that period of time. Add a little bit of, of um, olive oil into that and then use it as an insecticide. It's a wonderful natural insecticide and the garlic acts as a repellent as well. So they're things that are going on in my garden. Maybe they're not that weird and wonderful, but there's a couple of good solutions there. But this looks a little bit more weird and wonderful, doesn't it? This is quite an interesting, this is the bitter gourd or um, uh, it, it's kind of used quite extensively. Normally you'd see these are longer forms. This is a wonderful little short form. I got it from the um, Swan Valley collection. Um, bitter gourds are a really delicious thing added into Thai cooking. Um, there's a whole bunch of different recipes for them. Really cool little plant, and as they mature, as the as the seed actually, as this I should say, as the fruit matures, I'm going to open this up. You get all these seeds inside, beautiful red seeds. I think you can see them there, um, and that's obviously going to be my crop for next year. I just thought I'd show them, and the fruit when it turns a golden yellow, lovely, not really edible. It's actually when it's green like that, and you can see them. They sort of at different stages. They when they're sort of immature, they're sort of um, a lighter green. And then as they mature, they turn a dark green and then they'll turn that bright yellow afterwards. So there's that. And then there's this one. And I don't know whether you've ever seen these before, but they really are something that's just a bit different. This is known as the African horned cucumber. And it is vicious. It's got these terrible spikes around the outside. And you might say, well, why would you grow that? ahead of a normal cucumber and it's a fair call except for this is what it looks like on the inside and I'm going to show you I'll cut one in half and you can see it's almost like a lime but it's it's a really beautiful cucumber flavor so by dishing this out from the inside with a spoon um, it's refreshing it's absolutely fabulous it's it's cucumber 
um, but it is it's got a stronger flavor in a more of a more of a flavor I suppose is what I'm going to say um, and it's incredibly good for you interestingly enough this is fantastic as a cleanser for kidneys um, and has been associated with relieving the symptoms um, of things such as diabetes now I don't know whether it it has a positive effect, but certainly sometimes the impacts of diabetes, um, it's possibly got to do with sugar, I suspect, but but I don't know. But something very different, this is um, this is actually coming into fruit in my garden now. So now's the time to be collecting seed. Um, and, and you can see it's a vine. It actually hangs and it'll hang off the vine like that, but quite vicious on the outside, but delicious on the inside, the way these things should all be. And very, very different. Now, this week, Here's what's coming up on The Garden Gurus. Just one teaspoon of soil contains billions of bacteria and beneficial soil microbes. And if you add up all the other living elements in just this much soil, there's more life than the humans on the planet. Coming up on The Garden Gurus this week, I'm going to show you all the tips to have the best autumn garden you can. And one of them, making use of the water you're putting on. Pretty exciting at the moment. The um, the Garden Gurus has really, uh, I think, hit its straps over the weekend. We had so much feedback. A lot of you are asking questions about Mineral Magic, and uh, I know it's only just arriving in retailers around the country and will continue to flow through. It's a pretty special product. So if you've got any questions about that, maybe we'll have a chat with um, uh, the principal scientist at, um, at Mineral Magic next week as well about that particular product. Um, but yeah, don't miss us. We, uh, we're, we're going live right across Australia uh, on the Nine Network, of course, Nine and Nine HD, and that's every Saturday at 4.30. And of course, the thing to remember is you can watch it whenever you want if you've missed the program on ninenow.com.au. Let's get back to some questions. Carol is in Perth. Hello, Carol. Where can I plant... Oh, where can I plant sweets? Look, sweet peas, as long as they go into a nice, rich, organic soil in a sunny spot and you've got a frame to support them, um, where, wherever you like, as long as you've got a nice sunny spot, those are the important things. And um, of course, it, it is Anzac Day. Um, that is the traditional sweet sweet pea planting day um, to get the best results. My grandfather used to plant them then. Um, beautiful, beautiful plant and grow really well. Natalie is in um, Parramatta in New South Wales. Now uh, is now a good time to divide your rhubarb, or should you wait, Natalie? Wait. Wait until it's uh, died down um, and then you can break it up. Yeah, I look, I have to admit, I don't dig mine up and, and divide it. I just leave it, let it come in year in, year out. But if you want to spread it out and get a few more plants, then um, definitely wait until it's gone dormant so you're not that far away. Julie, we're not sure where you're from and, uh, and it would help me a lot if I knew. But um, you have asked a question, why is your crepe myrtle uh, why it doesn't get very many blooms. Um, you said it's growing well, it's just not flowering well. And that could have, a fa that could be a couple of things actually. If you are giving it lots of water, if you are feeding it a lot of high nitrogen based fertilizers, you'll get a lot of growth, but you won't get a lot of flower. Have a think about what it is you're doing with that plant. If you can back off watering, if you can back off feeding, uh, you'll probably find that the natural reaction of the plant will be to produce more flowers. It's kind of, it's kind of logical if you think about it. They flower to reproduce. So um, the more stressed they are, the better the, the flower tends to be, albeit you don't want to stress them too much so the plant looks sick. So there is a balancing act. Reed is in Victoria. Um, now you want to know how should you be watering your Swiss cheese plants? So this is um, often uh, an indoor plant. It will grow outdoors in some places, certainly in the north of the country. And... Um, the best thing to do really is to just keep the water up to it. They do love it. They don't like to sit in water. So if it's in a pot, um, you need to make sure that the water is drained through, allow it to suck up a little bit, and then um, and then you'll water again. But generally, it's two to three waterings a week, and uh, you're probably talking around 10 to 15 mil per watering. It's about, um, to put that into context, if you're watering with a garden hose, it's about a minute or so standing there just hosing over the over the plant. I hope that helps. Kate is in Edgewater in Perth. I had a Chinese tallow planted on my verge by council last year. Is that your request? And now you're now I'm discovering that it is a pest in many areas. Is that the case here? Well, 
look, I don't know that the Chinese tello is a pest. Um, I certainly wouldn't consider it to be that way at all. There are some plants that look quite similar to the Chinese tello that have tropical origins and in warmer climates can be problematic. But certainly uh, in the Perth area, the Chinese tello is a massive asset and um, beautiful deciduous tree that grows really well in warmer climates and still produces those wonderful deciduous displays. Um, I think it's a I think it's a good plant for a verge and I wouldn't worry about it, Kate. You you should be fine. Wendy is in Geelong. Hello, Wendy. Why isn't my ficus standard growing? It's the same size as it was two years ago and it's in the ground. That's interesting. So typically it's all about the root growth and there is a risk that when you plant it in, it was quite root bound. Maybe the roots haven't moved beyond the ball. It wouldn't be a problem for you in the late part of winter to dig that up and take a look. And if the roots are like that, to break them up a little bit so they're not wrapping around each other. Um, the, the key with ficus really is to be quite honest, keep the water up to them, keep the nutrient up to them and they will do really, really well. So um, that's my suggestion, Wendy. Helen's in Geograph Bay. Geograph Bay is, uh, I suppose, on the edge of the town of Bustleton in the southwest of Western Australia. Helen says, her husband and I were so taken with the Illawarra flame trees at your local park. You've taken some fallen seeds and lovingly reared some plants over the last four months. Thinking of planting in your property along Geograph Bay, any suggestions? You couldn't do it any better, Helen. If you can, if you can grow them from seed yourself, you just can't go wrong. And uh, they do do extremely well down in that region. You shouldn't have any issues. Get them into some good soil. So a bag of potting mix used as the planting mix when you put them into the ground will allow them to grow like they were growing in a, in a large pot. And generally, once the roots are really growing strongly and the plant's really strong, it'll hit the, the natural soil. And even if that's not too good, it'll continue to motivate and, and, and move very quickly through that and grow. So the trick with them is water and fertiliser. I hope that that's, um, that's of some help to you. Um, Jenny is on the east coast of New South Wales. Now, you're struggling to get Cascade Lilipilis to thrive. Any tips? Again, um, that's interesting, Jenny, because lily pillies, as a general rule, just love, they love summer rainfall, so they love good watering during the summer. It's been quite wet through there. Unless you're in a pocket that's dry, um, there's no reason why they shouldn't be going uh, pretty well for you. But what I would recommend you do, give them some fertiliser, so a controlled release fertiliser like Osmocote right now, maybe a liquid over the top of the foliage, that wouldn't hurt them. Um, but feeding them on a regular basis, watering them on a regular basis, that's the key with lily pillies. Yvette is in Melrose in South Australia. Hello, Yvette. Hello, everybody in South Australia. My magnolia little gem has dropped all of its leaves. Will it recover if I keep it damp and feed it? Well, the question is, why did it drop its leaves? Now, if it was if it was dry shock, so if it's um, hit some drought-like conditions, it is possible they will dump a lot of foliage, but not all of their foliage. And if it's dropped all of its leaves, my belief is that that magnolia will probably die. So what you want to do to check and see whether it has, just scrape the bark around the base of the, the trunk and keep working your way up. And if you're getting green at the base and you're still getting green all the way up the top, um, then you, well, you should hang on. But if it's dry, I would remove it. I think it's um, something's happened to it and it could be anything from borers through to drying out. Um, but once they're dead, very rarely do they recover. Even when they do recover, they're never quite the same tree after that, unfortunately. Visit the Garden Guru's online store and browse through a collection of high-quality, German-made Wolfgarten tools. You'll also find a range of books with information to help create and maintain a beautiful garden. You can also access the online store on the Garden Guru's Facebook page. Scott's in Ipswich in Queensland. And you've got to understand... We have literally, we're running live here, so questions are just flowing through. And every once in a while, you're going to you're going to get me with one. Scott's asked about the best time in Ipswich to pot up an Amorphophallus bulbifera. It's a snake plant. Now, it's not a common plant, certainly not something that I've ever grown myself. And he wants to know the best time to pot it up. And, and the answer is probably something I'm not going to be able to give you, I don't think. Scott, generally going into winter... Um, a lot of these sorts of plants, I'd be guessing, don't do super well. You're a lot better to be potting up as you're coming out um, into the warmer weather and also um, longer days. Those two things are really important. But the real answer here is every once in a while, take a photograph, 
head down to your local garden centre and talk to the horticulturalists there. They'll help you out a lot. Now, we've got a question coming from our YouTube channel. It's Zifa in Sydney. Hello, Zifa. I'm planning to grow some some plants from the brassica family like cabbages, Brussels sprouts, broccoli and cauliflower. Should I cover them for pest control and what can I use for aphids? Absolutely. Um, you know, I mentioned just before about, um, about chilli and garlic and the combination of those two is sensational. And if you've got some really hot chilies, um, they will really take care of aphids super well and the garlic stops them from coming back. So that's my suggestion. Keep it natural, keep it safe. These are plants you're going to eat and now is the time to get them into the garden. Elva is in Hillsville in Victoria, a beautiful part of the world. Um, you've had to prune your lemonade tree heavily. The new growth's covered in thorns that are so long, they're dangerous. Uh, is it time to get rid of it? Now, the question is, did, did this particular growth pop up um, from the base of the plant? Because it sounds to me very much like it's the rootstock, not the lemonade tree that's growing. Now, if it's, if it's shoots coming out from under where the original graft was or bud was, what you will see is um, that plant performs very differently. It's got different shaped leaf and it's got very big thorns on it. And I reckon that's what it is. So I would look down at the very bottom of the tree. If it's there, don't cut it off with secateurs. Break it off with your hands. And I know that's hard if you've got thorns, but find a spot where you can get your hands in, put as much pressure on it as you can and break it off. Now, the reason you do that is you blind the buds on either side. If you cut it, you'll stimulate at least four new buds to grow. So... Um, yeah, that's the best advice I can give you, Elva. I hope it helps. Carolyn is in Melbourne. Hello. Uh, do we prune our roses now in Melbourne? Caroline, generally across the country, it's July and August. In, in Western Australia, it's the first week or first weekend of, of August is the traditional time you would get in and you would give your roses a really good prune. In Melbourne, it might actually be just a little bit later, depending where you are. So if, you, if your weather's warming up, it's time to get out and give them a prune. So sometimes you can find it, it gets quite warm towards the end of July, early August. Um, in, in Perth, it's actually still at its colder, so they're completely dormant at, in the first week of August. But by pruning them back then, as soon as basically the sap starts flowing, it goes straight into the, the buds that you've pruned to and your plant you know, recovers and grows really quickly and produces a lot of flower. Wow, we've answered a lot of questions today, haven't we? It's uh, always a always a challenge. You throw some pretty good ones at us. That that snake plant one was very good, and I uh, hope that you're going to be one of the winners of our prizes. Lockie is going to reach out to this week's lucky winners and make sure you check your messages to see if you've won a packet of seeds or if you're very lucky. A copy of Two Dogs and a Garden. It's a beautiful book, very inspiring. That's it for today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us. Well, we're going to be back with another episode next Monday, 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. And, of course, that's, um, that's what, 9 a.m. Western Standard Time. The Garden Gurus TV series is back on Channel 9. We are having a ball. and We've got some great stories coming up this week. You will absolutely love them. It's right across the country at 4.30 p.m. And remember, if you want to jump onto our website, you can catch up on previous stories. That's thegardengurus.tv um, or our YouTube channel, thegardengurus.tv. Or you can always catch it on Nine's Catch-Up, which is ninenow.com.au. And you can watch, um, if you miss the weekend's episode, for example, you can watch that straight away as a full episode. And if you've enjoyed today's live stream or you want to share anything that's been discussed, you can share it um, and also previous episodes on Spotify. You can actually um, you can podcast it uh, or Apple Podcast and Audible. So you'll notice there's a bit of a change there. Audible is now available as well. So thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you again next week for um, the Garden Gurus Live, Australian Eastern Standard Daylight Time of 12 p.m. Happy gardening. Have a great week. I'm Trevor Cochran. We'll see you then. I dig, I dig, dig, dig in the ground. The Garden Gurus is back this weekend. Make sure you check out your local TV guide for your local times. I got my hole, I got my rake, and I'm ready to go.